0: Homies, I know GuttenTag doesn't go there, but it felt like the moment to bust it out. Anyways, uh, today is a surprise bonus episode that I recorded with my buddy Kyle a while ago, and since we took last week off for Canada Day, even though Canada Day was on a Wednesday, I just felt I needed a week. Um, I decided this week let's do two episodes, and we're not announcing this one; we're just dropping it on you. Uh, so Kyle and I dive in. Uh, to the topic of wrestling, um, and all the fun stuff. Now, I'm just going to add the preface now. Um, We recorded this well before, a week or so ago, when a bunch of horrible realities um, and experiences people have had with other wrestlers and wrestling companies and terrible things came to light. Um, So I just want to throw that preface in there, in that we are not ignoring them. Uh, we just, we hadn't, it hadn't dropped yet. Uh, I know Kyle and I would have talked about them if they had. So if you don't know what I'm referring to, you can easily, uh, find this stuff online. And if you're Christians, uh, please pray for all the people who have been affected. Um, pray for the hurt and pray for the people who were victimized, uh, who have been hurt and have been in pain. Um, and also pray for the pray for the people who did this, that they will change, that they'll apologize, and they'll actually work on not not being the terrible people that would that would do this. Um, everyone needs prayer, not just the people we love. Um, <laughs> we're supposed to pray for our enemies, so I'm, I'm asking that <laughs> here. Um, all that being said, I hope you enjoyed today's surprise episode. We've never talked wrestling on the podcast, and it'll be fun— It was fun for Kyle and I to do it, and we we will do so again. Just wanted to throw in that intro, um, because we're focusing on the lighter stuff in this, and then a bunch of heavy and dark stuff was revealed. We weren't ignoring it, we just didn't know it at the time. All that being said, I hope you enjoyed today's surprise episode. Hope you're having a great week, and God bless, my friends. Hey everyone, this is Chris, and you're listening to Slash Watching, One Cross Radio. Uh, And today we are joined by my good buddy and uh, became tight hombre and friend, Kyle. Uh, I met when I was working at Living Rock, and uh, I'll introduce you to Kyle in a second. But I just want to address a couple things off the top of uh, the episode. First things first, um, if the sound quality is a little bit different, it's because we are recording over Skype. Um, and unfortunately, Kyle realized with the phone he has, it's one of the new fandangled ones where you've got to get an adapter to plug in your, your headphones instead of just plugging in headphones. So thank you, Android and Apple for doing this for no reason. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Kyle doesn't have a microphone. So if the audio sounds a little bit different, that's why, but we know the content of this is going to be good. Uh, so please stick around. Um, I'll address the other thing I want to add is we are talking today about wrestling, uh, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. I didn't ever think I'd do an episode on wrestling, and we'll get more into why in in a couple minutes. But off the bat, um, the other thing I want to address is a couple weeks ago. Um, this is not a woman I've ever seen perform, but it's a, a really tragic situation. Um, in Japan, there is a promotion called Stardom. It is an all women's promotion. And there was a young woman by the name of Hannah Kimura. Um, she was becoming a bigger name within this promotion. Uh, she was very well liked by a lot of her coworkers and peers. Um, even if she wasn't, it doesn't make it any less tragic. But she was on a Japanese uh, reality show. I can't remember the name, uh, but it's it's akin to Big Brother. And there had been something happening. Something happened on a show where. Um, a lot of the fans didn't like her. A lot of the panelists, it's been felt, painted her in a really bad light. And then what happened was Hannah proceeded to get cyberbullied, and cyberbullied a lot. Um, and recently, I believe it was a week or so ago, uh, news broke that uh, she 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 committed suicide. She took her own life, um, which is really tragic and. She had posted images of self-harm before. There was a lot of just sun like, whoa, what's going on? Um, and she was 22 years old. And this is, it's wrong whenever it, ha- it It's wrong whenever this happens. It sucks whenever this happens. It's tragic whenever this happens. But for me, the younger the person is, the more it hits. I'm a good 11 years older than, than she was. And that's, that's really messed up. That's not to take it away from anybody else. Like, suicide is always tragic. But when you're that young and you have that, so much more of life in the world in front of you, like, let's take away the 2020 stuff. When you have that much more of the world in front of you, it's it's really messed up. Um, so the only thing I want, I'm going to echo the words of, uh, I, I can't remember the announcer's name, but... Uh, so many companies rightfully did tributes to her uh, as soon as they could. WWE threw up a graphic. She's never worked with them. She, It's not known if she ever would have worked for them. Impact Wrestling, uh, I think, did a tribute. NWA did a tribute. Um, Excalibur, that's his name. Uh, I want to echo his, his words. He went into a good minute-long thing of just be kind to one another. Uh, and I want to echo that in, outside of wrestling. Let's recognize that right now there's a lot of fear, a lot of hurt, a lot of raw emotion. And unfortunately, when there's a lot of that going on, we do not act kindly or wisely. So please just, before you interact with anybody, any, before you comment on that Facebook post, before you try to troll somebody, even if you think, oh, it's just for the lulls, just be kind to each other. Uh, That's what we need right now. We need understanding. We don't need to shout at each other. Um, we need to hear each other. We need to have ears to hear each other. But we also need to speak with kind words. All right, so that's the heavy part. Now let's get into uh, what I will lovingly call the silliness of, of professional wrestling. And that's what I've really enjoyed about I've come back to it through this quarantine um, because I've needed something Something different. And I know I'm going to hand it over to you in a second, Kyle. But I'll just say one of the things I love about wrestling is at the end of the day, it is it's kind of silly. But that's not to knock on anybody involved. That's not to dispute how much athleticism and effort and work is involved in doing this. But it's not something I I can ever look at and be like, this weighs heavy on my soul. The tragedy that happens within it does. But at the end of the day, I can be like, okay, you know what? That was kind of fun. I can look at the stadium stampede match from AEW and be like, they (laughs) N64 Irish whipped a guy and they did a transition shot. That is silly. And it was so needed. So, Kyle, I'm sorry. I've been monologuing. I'm going to hand it over to you, buddy. How are you today?
1: (laughs) Fantastic. And I've been a wrestling fan since I was five years old and never really left watching it i always loved watching it for the especially for the silliness of it but i do appreciate the athletics of it but some of my favorite wrestlers were more of the hardcore style type of fighters like terry funk and mick bully in his early
0: days those were some of my oh, 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 oh dude we'll we'll get so I'll, I'll do a quick summation of this episode but i know you got some questions for me that we'll dive right into but the, the quick summation of this episode is um, Kyle and I are going to look at uh, four decades of wrestling. Uh, we're going to look at the 1980s. We're going to look at the 1990s, uh, the 2000s and the 2010s. And what's interesting is, is you hear stories about how the 80s was like the wild, wild west, almost of wrestling. And it's like, OK, maybe that is the case in the backstage stuff. But I will go I'll, I'll just say to me the 1990s and the reason i'm thinking this is because you mentioned uh mick foley who was wrestling as cactus jack at the time uh terry funk and then when we get to uh, like just wrestling in the 90s the stuff you saw that's where i'm like you have not gotten wilder than than the 1990s in wrestling in terms of hardcore in terms of uh some of the stuff it's If we have, it's been in the wrong direction, (laughs) but, uh, I'm sorry. I'm monologuing again. I know you got some questions.
1: (laughs) Yes. So to to kick this, let's just go with, what was the first federation you actually tuned into?
0: So for me, it was, uh, definitely WWF. Um, and then also, uh, I see, I remember I, I'd see WWF, um, in the, this was the mid to late nineties. Um, around 97 98 um but then i'd also if i couldn't fall asleep i had my own room there was a tv if i was awake late enough and i channel surf there'd be replays of nitro and i some of the first matches i remember seeing were like tag team matches where it would be like Rey mysterio and billy kidman against juventud guerrera and uh psychosis and i'd be like what the heck is going on and that was my first exposure to lucha libre um that kind of style so WWF, and then WCW, which I think it's fair to say for most people around my age bracket, that would be their first exposure. It was certainly the most successful of the of the brands that we're talking about, especially at that time.
1: For me, it would have to be Maple Leaf Wrestling, which was owned by WWF at the time, and it would come on Saturday mornings, and it was mainly filmed in Tor- Toronto
0: at, Mad- at a
1: Maple Leaf Gardens.
0: <laughs> well, hold up, did you almost Madison Square Garden this? <laughs> yeah.
1: And it was run by what we knew on on camera as Jack Tunney. He would he ran Maple Leaf Wrestling. All right. And, and most of the matches you would see would be like Beefcake and Valentine teaming up against Jobber, or King versus a Jobber was like the first match I remember because I remember well, him. Give me five! Give me five! So,
0: you know, <laughs> Well, that was also that also would be like early, uh, even though it's the eighties. Uh, that would be for the most part like WWF or maybe l- less so WCW because of different styles. But a lot of the TV stuff would be, hey, let's throw our names out a bunch against of jobbers, and then it would keep the names apart until the big pay per view, where it's like now's where you see the stars clash instead of say. The 2000s or especially the 2010s the problem of hey we've got say cena and orton facing off on pay-per-view but for the entire month we're gonna have them face either in singles matches <laughs> triple threats or tags where it's like man you're you're losing the the build to actually seeing these guys throw down let alone the fact that those guys have probably faced each other like 1500 times but You get what I mean. Like, the earlier model kept the names apart so you were like, ooh. Especially
1: with uh, WCW, which was NWA in the 80s, they wouldn't have uh, big stars against big stars on TV. They would save that for the house shows because they didn't do a lot of interviews at the beginning NWA. So they had a lot of house shows and they would promote the house show. You'd have the guy come on and say, in this town, I'm going to face so-and-so. Yeah. that's how they did it before pay per view started, which was around '89 for them. Whereas WWF was a lot earlier.
0: Oh yeah. So okay, I'll, i I think I know that. I think this is one of your questions. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb here and just totally steal this thunder from you and ask you. Um, <laughs> what is it about wrestling that that you still enjoy? That, that you like you even said you you never lapsed in your fandom of it. So what is it that keeps you going back?
1: Uh, Well, I would say from about the 80s to about 2008, I was a huge fan of the big ones, WCW and WWF. But then I started walking away slowly. But then I noticed there was a lot of independent wrestling out there that I could actually tune into and say, oh, wait, there's something different. And the characters drew me in, especially with, like, ring of honor and stuff they were doing with cm punk before he became the big name that he is now and yeah, yeah and seeing people like raven who was a wf star on there I was like hey wh- what are you doing here weren't aren't you wf
0: <laughs> <great> <laughs> well at that time that. e but <laughs> yeah
1: it was great to know that there was other things out there and, and as i started watching friend ben friends started sending me tapes of japan i was like. Hold on, this is a whole new world. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm hooked again,
0: and I just kept <laughs>
1: watching old tapes. I went back, watching, watching. Yeah. The newer stuff, and eh, I dance around it a bit. NXT, I'll give it a thumbs up. 205 Live, will give it a thumbs up. But the main stuff, uh, I cringe.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> so I like before we start recording, I think I said I kind of lapsed out from I, I was like a monday viewer for i'd say from like ne- late 99 um after after my father passed um like beforehand i'd still watch it every once in a while and I'd, i knew like i'd it'd, it'd be something i'd throw on in my room but it was around that time like around freaking middle school that i'm like nope nope monday night is i know what i know the channel. Like, I'm now getting wise enough to know what channel it's on and stuff. And I got the TV in my room. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, It'd probably be around like 2002 or three, whenever right after uh, WrestleMania 19 was. Um, It was around that time that I kind of lapsed out on being like a a loyal Monday night guy. Um, And around that time, that's where I start. Reading about the the behind-the-scenes stuff, and that's what kept that's what kept me interested. I wouldn't I wouldn't watch so much. I'd look, and for years, it'd be like I'll look up highlights. Um, If I read about a really good match, I'll look up the match. Um, I very rarely. I think the last full pay-per-view that I had watched was. Oh wait, no, because SummerSlam two thousand. Was it? Yeah. No, no, it was uh, WrestleMania 19. That was the last. No, no. WrestleMania 20. That was. Oh, wait. no. years later, I saw another WrestleMania, but it was like (laughs) my buddy invited me. Um, It wasn't like I ordered it. Um, And then I'd be reading stuff. But then, of course, there was Ring of Honor, which is so interesting because that promotion over the years. It's it's had its ups and downs, but. It is, I'd say, a fair thing about it is it is a who's who of wrestling now, almost. Like, you got, before TNA, that was the exposure of Samoa Joe. That was the a big exposure for uh, Brian Danielson, more, no, more so known now as Daniel Bryan, uh, CM Punk. But it also, it showcased a style, um, a hybrid style from Japan, that we, that outside of tape traders, you hadn't really seen in North America. Um, so the indie blow up of the 2000s is, is interesting, but we'll, we'll get there. So uh, why don't we take it back to the, uh, the 1980s? Let's, let's look at this decade. Um, it's an interesting one because when people talk about the booms of the wrestling industry, the 80s is a big one. Uh, I think statistically, the biggest one is the 90s, uh, like uh, 96 through 2001 is financially the best period for pro wrestling, Um, just uh, for both companies, for numerous companies, but also the ratings they were drawing on Monday nights, how much money they were getting, it's, that's the thing, but you couldn't have gotten there without the 80s. Uh, So the 80s you had, let's walk us through this, Kyle. What are some of the promotions going on? Who are the big guys? What's some of the good and some of the bad?
1: So in the 80s, we had AWA, where Hulk Hogan first premiered. And we had the NWA, WWE, which is WWF at that time. And there were some other smaller territories, like out in California and Portland, and then you had Georgia Championship Wrestling and Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling also. And then you had people like Jerry Lawler starting in the late 80s with the USWA. And then, so those were the, the ones that were, were around that people could see on TV mainly. There probably were a lot more, like New Japan Pro was still around, but unless you lived in Japan, it was very rarely saw here unless you were a tape trader.
0: New and Japan and All Japan. Yeah, those were, which, oh man, I can't wait to get to the 90s stuff just because I've gone back and looked at some of the the King's Road All Japan stuff. I was like, holy crap. Um, I will say now, like, if I'm sitting down to watch a whole match, 90% of the time it is Japanese wrestling. And we'll get to that when we get to the 90s and, or when we get to especially the 2000s and 2010s. But uh, anyways, Um What was your favorite? Well, if you want to see
1: great matches from the 80s, these are the four that I would sit down and watch the whole thing out of. One would be Randy Motch Man Savage versus Ricky the Dragon's Team I knew it. Fantastic (laughs) match. Then Terry Funk versus Jerry the King Lawler in an empty stadium match. It was fantastic, and they had mics all over the stadium, so you could hear them as they're screaming at each other and yelling at each other. It just a fantastic match to watch. Um, then you got Ric Flair versus Ricky Drake and Steamboat, which they fought three times in WCW, and their best time was in 1989 uh, in New Orleans, where they had the smallest crowd they ever had for pay-per-view, but it was, like, the best match, so they didn't <laughs> Well, okay.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there, Chief. Uh, <laughs> right now we're running empty arena shows, and they've just recently started putting employees out as the crowd. So I'll say that that crowd, whatever the size, was bigger. It drew more than WrestleMania 36.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, no, this is when yeah. WrestleMania was at its peak, and you
1: couldn't sell out a <laughs> stadium. <laughs> You know, you're promoting it terribly then. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then another one would have to be Hulk Hogan and Piper from the rock and roll wrestling stuff they did in the 80s with Cyndi Lauper and Cyndi Lauper's manager and Captain Lou Albano. All that kind of stuff was this unbelievable. And it brought wrestling more into the mainstream because MTV Oh yeah, wrestling. And so it brought it right into the mainstream, which launched wwf or wwe as we know it now into the spotlight
0: yeah it's the 80s is an interesting time period to look back on i'll also say now um just because it's conversations i've seen up long, uh, show up online and constantly people ch- like trying to make fun of wrestling is like well it's fake like yes yeah, it's, it's pre-planned it's staged but it's I I think the best way to describe it is performance art Um, because the amount of athleticism, especially in today's product that is needed to perform, like needed to work at a high caliber where people will notice it's, it's insane. Um, They're telling a story. Like that, that's the thing you get wrapped up in it. At times you're like, there's a silly factor to it, but other times you're like, you know what? This is just, I'm being entertained. And that's the, the bare bones about it. Like if anybody tries to be like, do you think it's real? Like, Oh, I know it's not, but that like, don't take away from what people are doing here. Like they're to be able to perform that for like 20 minutes, let alone 45 or 60 or longer is uh, let's not disparage the, the work that other people put into it. It's not your thing. It's not your thing. But certain companies do that better where you're like, you know what, my suspension of belief and believing this is maybe closer to real. Some of others done that better than others. Uh, it depends on how the company is treating the product itself. But that's, that's my side tangent. <laughs> yeah. And the
1: problem with some of the 80s was it really was, predictable because you knew when the finish was going to be finished whereas now it, you don't know when the finish is going to come. whereas like Paul Colton for example you knew when he gave the big boot to the face and then ran off over the leg drop the match was over But Jake just named Robert did the short line close line then he'd get you to be, the match was over so you so, knew a lot in the 80s when, when stuff was finished especially in WWF in the independence it was a lot different you didn't really know the ending a lot of times. Now,
0: now I will say though, I think a fair criticism could be, especially especially for WWE, um, that they could take a, a they could take a note from their own book, and like if a finisher is supposed to be the match ender move, and you have to bust it out more than three times to end the match, and it's not the only match on the card that's doing that, that. In trying to make it more epic, you're devaluing. Like, you're devaluing your your move. If it's supposed to be the thing that's like, this is over, this is my ace in the hole, <laughs> this is what gets me there, and you have to keep, keep, keep doing it. And I'm not talking about, like, I hit it once, and then I hit it a second time. And Maybe a third time is okay. But I'm talking, like, I haven't watched the full match, and as much as I enjoy some aspects of say like brock lesnar um or heck e- even a non-brock example is they had seth rollins feuding with uh, bray wyatt's the fiend and he curb stomped him like seven times eight times and you're like go to a different move Stop. like your your finisher is meaningless now why would i believe it can't like there has to be some suspension of belief so i do miss that aspect where it's like if stone cold hits the stunner it's done son <laughs> if DDP hits the diamond cutter, it's done. Like, okay, I hit my first of seven diamond cutters. Like, all right, you need something more impactful, homie. <laughs> like, all Side. The time, Side rant yeah. over. <laughs> all the only time
1: that was fully really effective when someone would do the move and the guy would not get pinned for it is when you're trying to promote a wrestler. Like, for example, when Jake did the D- the Undertaker, when the Undertaker first started, it made his character – more real and better you know
0: like he is and
1: he is gonna get oh yeah no he like, didn't repeat the move over and over again after that back after he screwed it up
0: once and the guy got out of it it was just once and like oh crap my move doesn't work well that's the thing or it's like okay like doing it sparingly uh can add a lot of drama to a match like uh to hop on new japan for a second like okada has like he hits the rainmaker 90 percent of the time like we're done we're calling it a night, like it's it's done. But then if someone kicks out of that, you're like, oh, because it's a move that so many of the times is the match ender. Then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in. Like, what what's he got to do now? And that's where you can get inventive. Where I it might have been against Tanahashi, where he had to like he added in a German suplex, then hit the rainmaker, and that's what ended it. But it was just like it in it. It can enhance it in small doses, but if they keep doing it all the time, if they just keep spamming <laughs> their oh, nice. special, and you're like, okay, what? What? <laughs> um, anyways, all right. So, uh, eighty back to the '80s. Out of stuff I've watched, uh, i res- it's interesting. It's not fully my bag. It's it's a very different era. It's not to knock it. Um, it's just. It doesn't cling to me as much as, say, or interest me or keep me interested as much as um, some of the stuff from All Japan in the 90s. Or uh, some of the character-driven stuff that you got from WCW and WWF um, in the
1: well, 90s. Great interviews. Go back to the 80s and listen to Piper speak or Funk. Oh, trumpet. yeah,
0: no, no. The, 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 <laughs> it, it's very different. The mic work was insane. Um, Absolutely insane And I'm not trying to crap on the 80s I'm not saying it's bad It's just out of like one That's the one that I found I had to go back to later I didn't have any of the With the 90s I was like all right, the 90s was my jam Because I was born in 87 And I found this in 97 (laughs) Like 97, 98 And then in the early 2000s It's like I've been a fan for this time And now it's like I gotta seek out And go back It's almost like I'm not as big a Doctor Who guy as I used to be, but when Jill got me into Doctor Who, uh, I binged that sucker. Uh, (laughs) I binged it up until the the fifth series, because at that point, the fifth series hadn't come out yet. Um, Wait, no, no, it had. So I got caught up, but then some other people were like, oh, you should check out the classic run. I tried. I get that it has it's its—it's got its charm, it's got its audience, it just doesn't connect with me that the new show does. That's one that I love visiting through. I love visiting earlier Doctor Who through comics or through audiobooks. And so the 80s stuff is similar, where I might not get the enjoyment level out of sitting down and watching it, but an isolated promo, or uh, listening to current wrestlers talk about some of their favorite characters, or... The d- behind-the-scenes documentaries you get about the growth of the, like, of the industry, but individual promotions through that time, color me the heck interested. That's the stuff I love from the 80s. But actually sitting down and watching it outside of, like, a couple, like, certain matches, it's it just doesn't have that grasp for me. Not crapping on it, but I'm also very much aware of, like, look, not everything's going to be for me. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's like trying to watch the WWE. E in uh, ninety two to ninety seven, which they dubbed a new generation era. It was <laughs> horrible. I like yeah. yeah, Duke the dumpster, drossy, Doctor Isaac. <laughs>
0: wow. You you know what? Let's I I think let's just transition to the nineties. I think um, the nineties is an interesting time, uh, for both in ring product and behind the scenes stuff. Uh, I think it's fair to say if you you can lob off and I, there's great stuff from both. There's great matches from both, but I think out of the big two in North America, you can law, there's a a huge quality decrease and increase um, in both WWF and WCW from the early to mid nineties being the decrease. And then the increase, uh, some much more so than others, <laughs> uh, for the WWF and WCW from also the mid nineties to the end of the decade. Um, Cause it, you and I were texting and it's, it's Arne Anderson has a really good podcast and I really enjoy listening to his stories and his perspective on his career, but other stuff like he's booked as an agent and other things. Um, yeah. And also Eric Bischoff's 83 weeks when they quiz him about stuff, but like, prior to the the titular 83 weeks um he's just describing the uh the chaos that is backstage and it's just like for every like great rick flair feud or every great bret hart or Shawn michaels match um or interesting character that you get with the undertaker you also got the dungeon of doom you also <laughs> got like the Alliance to End Hulkamania. You also got the Repo Man. You also got Brutus the Barber Beefcake Headlining Starcade. You also got like there's so many you you also got the shockmaster, Kyle. Like <laughs> there's so much
1: there are some things nineties WCW that I wish they had done better with, like oh. Steve Austin and Brian Pillman. at uh, the Hollywood. Oh yeah. Show. Fantastic. But Absolutely didn't like it for some reason. I don't know why.
0: So, so here I'll 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 just I'll just toss in just because I've been listening to his thing. He's gone on the record saying like he wasn't in charge of creative at that time. Uh, like he was just the TV side of things. So it was other people changing creative. He didn't get creative until I think it was '96, like '95 '96. He didn't get the creative book until then
1: well according to steve austin's book it's bishop's fault why he's uh, was out of wcw
0: oh yeah no but uh but stone cold's also like i realized that i did some stuff that got me out of there yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and, and the 90s is the 90s is a fun time in some aspects as well because you got uh people who would eventually become bigger superstars like really uh Cracking their teeth a bit um, in other promotions. I think, correct like, me if I'm wrong, but Smoky Mountain was like the first TV uh, thing that Jericho got. Um,
1: incorrect. He did some stuff in Canada. Um, oh, it's right, local, because, um, Canadian TV. So I don't know if you would technically count that. It was like local cable access. Yeah, it was
0: that was um this um, first oh, what
1: with Landstorm.
0: Oh, yeah, no, I just can't remember the name of the promotion. Um, I think it was CWA, something like that. Okay. What's the name of the, the Hearts promotion that WWF bought?
1: Calgary Stampede Wrestling.
0: He eventually Damn went
1: that, but his first was, like, something called CWA, and he was known as the Cowboy Christian. Oh, Jerry.
0: yeah, that's right, that's right.
1: He in his first match, and he, and he was a draw. No
0: one won. <laughs> All right, well, then we'll go with First continual national television audience would have been a uh, hey, smoking Cal- Mountain.
1: Calgary Stampede Wrestling.
0: Okay, well, then I'm just wrong, Kyle.
1: <laughs> watch it all, all out west, though. So. And you can watch it in parts of the Western parts of U.S. Too, so, right. it is national.
0: All right, so, sorry. I'm going to get you to repeat that just a little bit slower because your mic was cutting in and out. <laughs> so, Calgary
1: Stampede Wrestling... Well, I would say would probably be one of the first big promotions because it was across the Western Canada and across parts of Western in the United States too.
0: Gotcha, that's fair.
1: Yeah, so it'd be well, Smoky Mountain Calgary Stampede Wrestling, and you had probably one in California too at the time, and then WWE were probably the big ones during that time, and then WCW also, yeah, were the ones at that time.
0: Yeah. So the 90s, uh, we'll quickly talk about some of the promotions. There were, bi- there, there were, of course, the big two. Later, debatably, the big three. Um, because you had, of course, WWF, WCW, the debatable third big. And the reason I say debatable, because to me it was the third big. But then when you look at it, it's a, a, it's when you look at it business-wise, like money, money-making-wise, audience-reach-wise, um it didn't have the impact close to either of the other two but i'm of course talking about ecw ecw had i'd say a huge fan impact much more than it did like financial impact um but at the time that okay so this is where i said i said earlier the 1990s to me is the wild wild west of wrestling because you'll hear stories sorry
1: there's one other promotion I forgot. Jerry Lawler's promotion, USW. Right,
0: right. Um, which
1: WWF at that time they worked with. Yeah, there was like a cross right. promotion, and that's where right. I yeah, because uh, Kane got a start.
0: Yeah, and then Kane also showed up in Smoky Mountain. And um, okay, so the, I said earlier, the '90s uh, to me is the the wild, wild west of wrestling, and here's why: when you hear stories about the 80s, most of the time the stuff is like, okay, the match went 60 minutes, um, we'd work injured. But also it's more so the unfortunate like drug and partying stuff. The 90s, uh, in the early 90s, Japan owned this, frighteningly so, um, with promotions like IWA Japan uh, and then FMW, um, where it was a lot more, it was a lot more violent yeah, so much more violent. Like, the death match, which is not my kind of match at all. Um, IWA Japan was oh that. Pardon? The barbed wire fence match. The
1: barbed wire
0: fence Barbed wire exploding ring where they put gimmicked but still slightly explosive bits of C4 around. Yes, Terry um, Funk
1: versus Cactus Jack.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's... That's where I'm like, that's the wild, wild west. Or you'd get stuff like Uh, towards the end end of the 90s, ECW, where Sabu in the middle of a barbed wire match, like a bar, listener, you can't see, but I'm going about halfway, I think, down into my, is that my bicep? I'm going to go with, that's my bicep. It's just the muscle on my arm. I don't know muscles. I know they're a thing that I don't have many of. Um, So in the middle of this match, they were using non-gimmicked barbed wire. It was legit barbed wire. Uh, It went halfway down into, let's say, his bicep. Again, I'm probably wrong about what muscle it is, because I don't have many. Uh, He left the ring, rightfully so. Uh, And at the time, you're like, oh, this is amazing. But cooler heads now would be like, no, no, this is done. And we're not going to use real barbed wire. Um, He came back out. And he had wrapped an entire roll of duct tape around his arm to continue the match. Uh, Mick Foley in Germany lost a chunk of his ear, Like he lost an ear. Um, and then that's even before we get to the wild stuff of the attitude era, where unprotected chair shots, Mick Foley getting tossed off the cell, Mick Foley getting the unplanned spot of being tossed through the cell. Um, it was, and then the creative and the attitude era as well, where it was legit wild and crazy. Like they were really doing crash must-see TV, um, where it's like, it when you look at it objectively, the late 90s doesn't have that much like great in-ring wrestling. Uh, a lot of it is just like, here's this match. Some of it is banger. A lot of it is middle of the ground. But what they had in spades was character. Their characters were so successful. Almost anybody on the card had a story. The lower card guy to the main eventer was getting a monstrous pop when they came out. So many characters were connecting. So many characters were over. I'd say the 2000 is where you got a bit of a good course correction. That, to me, is almost... It feels weird to say, because I don't want to say peak Attitude Era without Stone Cold Steve Austin, but in an in-ring perspective, 2000s, like, here's the wild characters we've had for the rest of the Attitude Era, but our match quality is going substantially up. WCW had the opposite problem. (laughs) I've monologued, please say words. (laughs) Kyle? Kyle? So
1: you cut it cut out there.
0: Ah, okay. Uh how long did I cut out for?
1: I missed the last minute there.
0: Okay. Well, I was basically saying 2000 I thought the year 2000 um especially for WWF was in some ways peak attitude era because you had the craziness in the characters, but the in-ring product got it stepped up to a higher level. Um it like the matches were consistently better quality. Um, WCW had the opposite problem. They were on fire in like 97, 96, 97, half of 98. And then they they hit the fan. They now,
1: pardon? They kept buying wrestlers. That was their problem. They just kept buying all these mega superstars and thinking, oh, we'll be great because we have so-and-so and so-and-so. <laughs> and downhill from there if you want a good product in late 90s it'd be hard to find but it was Ring of Honor was starting up and their in-ring product was fantastic, the film quality was horrible but (laughs) you had great matches, they started like in 98 in 99 and that's where you saw AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Daniel Bryan Seth Rollins who was Tyler Black at that time that was in the 2000s, right? Go, go. That was 98. It started It started Ring of Honor. Oh wow! But officially okay. got into the 2000s. Um, and so you you can find quality matches, but the camera work is not the best. It's hard to it's hard to watch. But if
0: you're a wrestling fan, you'll stick through it. So one thing I'll one thing I'll say, just because you you mentioned an issue WCW had, um. One thing I found fascinating and I've appreciated about the, uh, the 83 weeks podcast, which listener, if you're, if you're a wrestling fan or just interested, that's a, that, that podcast Arn Anderson's podcast. um, They're, they're Jericho's podcast, uh, Steve Austin's. They're all interesting. I will say now uh, they all use language. There's stuff that (laughs) you might disagree with as Christians, but if you can, if you can get past some of that, the really interesting listens. Something that Bischoff pointed out, and others have gone on to point out, is what really killed that company was the AOL merger. Because uh, they start when AOL started coming in, because mergers, and we just saw this with Disney and Fox, they don't happen overnight. Like it's talked about years in advance, and it takes a solid year, if not longer, to happen so bischoff has shown and then others have cooperated the story um so there's there's more people citing it as accurate they're like aol came in we were the number one rated show we were bringing in more viewers to our network than anything else we were the biggest company in our industry we were we had gone from a, a company that was consistently losing money to earning the most money and then the they were coming in they're like okay well this is how you run this it's like wait what we've been doing this okay well see what that that company's doing like how they're using vulgar language and stuff stuff that you've been do- you did first you can't do that no advertisers going to go on that no advertisers going to want to get behind that and then WWF in 1998 blew the heck up and it was crazy vulgar uh like they they were treating it uh, it sounds like the AOL people were like fearful that they were ECW, which I can get why advertisers wouldn't go with that show as good and entertaining as a fan was. like that's a tough sell uh, to anybody beyond 18 to 34. Um, that was a huge part. So suddenly they had all these sensors, all these cooks in the kitchen, and then they're like, you can't sell like nope, you can't do this. You can't do that. Um, the 83 weeks podcast has been really interesting cause it's pointed out. Uh, it's brought up a bunch of stuff where Bischoff, I think even to that criticism was like, okay, so what about when, uh, Vince McMahon in the 1980s bought, like bought the a- like over half of the AWA roster and all these territories, their biggest stars, they bought them. So why is it okay when they did it, but I get criticized for it? So I I, that's where I found it. It's gone around. It's been a really interesting thing because it's dispelled a lot of the the narrative that's come up over the years about like, oh, it's just this one or two things where it's like, nah, man, it was at a corporate level. And then Bischoff is still like, I'm learning. I learned things through a book because a guy got interviews with Turner execs that I would never even have a conversation with. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, Ted was losing control. Uh, this guy is like, Nope, like, I don't like this. I want this off our network. They were torpedoing it before the product started to suck. (laughs) Because, like, make no mistake, as much as you have some fun stuff in 1999 and 2000 and 2001, WCW, 99% of it is a train wreck for every positively canyon, which was amazing. Chris Canyon doing a DDP gimmick was so funny and so good and actually got a lot of audience support for everything of that. You also got Judy Bagwell on a friggin' poll. (laughs) That's horrible. Although if I'm not going to lie, if, if WWE.com was to ever put up like a random, like remember when they did in the early two thousands, like the taboo Tuesday or cyber Sunday or whatever, which like you vote on the matches. If they gave Judy Bagwell on a poll as an option, I would vote it in a heartbeat. Zero context. Zero connection. Just give me a title match between Brock Lesnar and Samoa <laughs> Joe and it's Judy Bagwell on a poll. I'm in. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I will, the other
1: problem, which Nash and Paul have admitted, is their contracts. The way they had their contracts worded.
0: So, they were... So they okay. So they have they've talked about it, but then they've also recorrected because that's something that gets brought up to uh to has been brought up to Bischoff a lot. Like oh, the creative control and the favored nations and all that. He's like that got added later. That first contract was ironclad. It was like no, it's this much. The first increase they got was when other execs were like. The whole fake diesel, fake razor thing was going on, and then they gave him an increase. And Eric's like, "This is stupid, but okay." And then, then later, they added the favorite, na- favorite nations. But he's gone actively gone out of his way to show and dispel, and tried to bust out the original contract to be like, "Look, there's nothing about creative control in here. There's nothing about millions of dollars here. This is something that's just been spun." And one of those times where, hey, if enough people repeat it, it must be true, kind of thing. <laughs> Right, But, but if, if you want to
1: sorry. look into the map for some good wrestling that's ha- actually hard to find, it's Florida Wrestling. It was Florida. run by Florida. Yeah, Florida had a wrestling promotion. Florida which, Championship? Yeah. It was run by Dusty Rhodes at the time. Yeah. And it was, and it was fantastic. And then WWE came in and swooped it and bought it and turned it into what we know now as NXT.
0: So they put up a documentary on the network that I watched not too long ago. Uh, there was Deep South, then they closed Deep South. W- FCW was always on the, the WWE payroll. Uh, they switched Deep South to FCW, and then later they canceled FCW to move it to the Performance Center and full sale for NXT. Um, but before, before we transition into the 2000s, because we're, we're starting to do that anyway— I got to say particular shout outs to uh, if uh, like the stuff I watch now, most of the time, if I'm going to sit and watch a match, it's going to be Japanese wrestling or something in that style. Japan has treated wrestling much different than the U.S. has. It's much more it's treated much more respectfully. I'll say I'm not trying to disrespect any North American company by saying that, but it's treated much more as a combative sport in Japan than say some of the soap opera aspects. You don't get a lot of the extremely colorful characters. You don't get, you tried to run me over with a car or you peed in my tea or I spilt coffee on you came. So now we'll have a last man standing match for reasons. Um, You don't get stuff like that. It's a lot more just tough dudes fighting each other. Uh, it's a lot more strike-based. Um, it's a lot more... The moves are crazy impactful. It's stiff. It's, at times, wince-inducing. Uh, yeah. When I mentioned, like stuff like FCW or even WCW, I could never get... In the 2000s, I could never get into CZW or anything like that. I'm like, because now we're just... We're going garbage. We're going too far. We're going to And even some ECW stuff, I'm like, I I can't. I just... It's that kind of what that's the bad kind of wins inducing, whereas uh, all Japan in the 90s was outstanding. They had the King's Road style. They had they were putting out dynamite bangerang matches. Um, it was so good. And also particular shout out. Maybe later we'll do an episode about women's wrestling. But uh, WWE recently in the past five years, they've gone maybe a little bit overboard in their promotion of the women's revolution. The company is finally treat in the past five years has finally been treating women's wrestling much more appropriately, uh, particular credit to give to TNA, which doesn't get a lot of credit at times for justifiable reasons. Um, partially that name, <laughs> but they, they started in the mid two thousands, they started treating women's wrestling much better, but Japan has treated women's wrestling amazing for years. Part of it is, I'd say, because it's not like, hey, let's do a show where we'll just throw on one or two women's matches where we've got time constraints. They get, like, it's been women-only shows, women-only promotions. So then all the women or most of the women on the roster get the chance to have their time to shine have their time to grow have their time in front of the audience and those were successful those were those were quite successful at times that the business in japan has gone up and down just like it does everywhere else so some of them had to close but it's a practice that's still going on today there's i haven't watched it but there's ice pro there's stardom there's a couple other ones there's legit so just to i just to give that particular credit Uh, As much as it's like, oh, yeah, WWE, Women's Revolution. It's like, homie, look up AGW from the 1990s. Heck, they've got shows from 89. Um, All right, but now we're transitioning to the 2000s. Right. So, take it away. (laughs) Well,
1: just to back up a bit, if you want to look at women, talk about women's wrestling there, you also have to look at Ring of Honor. They really uh, women's wrestling too in, Amer- in America but you're right Japan really shined when it comes to women's wrestling and I would have to say if you're going to sit down and watch three federations like right now if you, you only could watch three federations Japan would be top of the list and probably I would say the N- new NWA stuff and I would say Major League Wrestling hmm. Hmm. I, I would stay away not from not. WWE My my opinion yeah, cause so they seem to push the same guys week in and week out.
0: It's like you have other talent, use them. <laughs> so, oh man, okay. Well, I'm gonna bite, but then I'll, I'll save some. I'll try to save as much as I can for the. We'll say 2010s to present because 2020 is an anomaly. But um, I think it's it's difficult though because as much as that's a fair criticism about WWE, I think that's a fair criticism for other companies. New Japan. As much as I love them, uh, and to their credit, not everybody gets the championship, which adds to the prestige. But when you look at it, like only, f- I think it's something small. Like four or five guys in the past five years have held the main title, but it's like there's four guys who are the main event. So you know the
1: way it works in Japan. They write the storyline for fa- for five. Oh years. yeah. And so that's why it's like that. And then they'll sprinkle in an American wrestler here and there, pull an American audience.
0: But but, uh, heck, I was listening to the episode of Suplex City, and I think it was a fair point out. Um, when you look at a guy like Nakamura, whose best run was in Japan, his NXT run was was pretty great as well. But for how many years, like he, he defined the uh, the IWGP intercontinental title, but there was also a lot of time where people were like wanting him to be moved back into the main IGBT, uh, IW dang it. (laughs) (laughs) IWGP title. They wanted to move him back into that picture. And it's kind of like, Oh no, we're going to keep him with the IC. And the problem with that is, The time he left, it was his fifth Intercontinental title run, and it's like We've been seeing this for for five years Or not five years, we've been seeing this for years Like, give us something More, something new So that's that's the difficulty I'd love to, like, not saying New Japan needs to hot shot the title round Because we're talking the 2000s And we'll see how that was bad for them But also business for them Wasn't that good, especially in the early half Of the 2000s Um, But cracking open that scene a little bit more so then people as the audience expands i think they've got to expand a little bit of their thinking not change it too much so it's an entirely crappy product to longtime fans which i'm not one um i'm a new i'm a new convert which is weird to describe but it i'm a new fan let's go with that uh cool. like <laughs> you got to crack that scene open a little bit. And I'm not saying they have to win, but put them in the, in the matches a little bit more. Cause as much as I like Okada, cause Okada is a machine um, and Tanahashi. Yeah. Like let's, let's spitball here. There's been other promotions where, heck we're talking 2000s. Noah, no, Noah ran into this issue in yeah. the later half of the 2000s where, it was, we'll have a couple key big guys who were the big guys from all Japan because there was the exodus from all Japan to Noah. Yeah. Um, but then they didn't open up that spot, the the top spots early enough, so that right. even th- you had the, the, the breakthroughs were few and far between. You had a couple like Kenta, um, who eventually rose through the ranks from junior to heavyweight. And I think for a while, I'm not sure if it's still current – had like the most defenses of their of the GHC heavyweight championship. He was the face of that company, but still, even when he was champion, there was still people being like, "No, nah, no, nah, where's Mizawa?" And then Mizawa died. Kenta, oh. uh, Kenta Kobashi was at that time in his career almost perpetually injured, and oh. then you had a case of you didn't even have the big names to build the younger guys up anymore. So yeah. it's just like if well, you- if I'm looking at New Japan. Okada gets injured, yeah. Tanahashi, like, as as well as he can go, like, he's closer to the end of his career than he is the start of it. Sure. Like, if they don't open it up more, like, Kenny Omega was a breakthrough, but if Omega hadn't broken, like, would Omega have broken through if Styles left? Would Omega well, have broken through, or would Omega yeah. have broken through if, if uh, Let's if you start. didn't have that exodus? Sorry, sorry, I'm I'm going There's way a- deep. So you're saying for New Japan, the thing that really
1: broke through for New Japan, actually Prince Iakea, a.k.a. Finn Balor.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was him starting the Bullet Club. Prince, With- Prince Devitt. Yeah, Prince Devitt, sorry. Which- sorry, Prince Iakea was a guy in WCW, <laughs> not that great <laughs> of a wrestler, but his gimmick in early 2000s, he did become the artist formerly known as Prince Ikea, which was... Underappreciated at that time and is awesome now.
1: <laughs> um, Finn Valor in New Japan starting the Bullet Club—that's what really brought the Americans oh. in again.
0: Oh, absolutely. So like, I'm sorry.
1: Big America in Japan. Before that was when Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant or Big Vader would go over.
0: Well, okay, so I, I I jumped to the 2010. so I apologize. So just uh, try to hark it back a little bit to specifically 2000 to 2010.
1: Talking about shuffling the title around. <laughs> Go back to early 90s WCW. And that oh, was the dude. Ever. The, the, I don't know how many heavyweight champions there were. <laughs> there were dude, two men. Only two... good ones gave Ron Simmons the title, but didn't last too long. Because they made two... Black man to win the title, and when she wasn't, there was also, I uh, forget his name, back in the early WWE days, Bonzo something, with Bronzo Brazil or something like that. He was one of the first. Black teams. But WCW tries to say they did it first. Is it correct?
0: They might have been the first with a national television deal. Me. I don't know. Right. <laughs> um, okay, so sorry, I definitely jumped ahead and you cut out. Yeah. They should have allowed, allowed him to hold it longer, in my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair.
1: Back, like, to the 80s again, where we started, I felt that the one where the, the WWF really screwed over, in my opinion, was Junkyard Dog. <laughs> that's I should have been champion at some point. You know, there was an opportunity when Hogan was facing Terry Funk on a Saturday night's main event. They should have had Hogan drop the title to Terry Funk because at that time he was also feuding with Junkyard Dog. Have Junkyard Dog win the title, and then have them have a rematch and have Terry Funk beat the crap out of him. Hogan come save him, and Hogan get the title back again. Right. That would have made the title a lot more stronger than it was. Because every were, time I every time I saw Hogan with the title, I was like, okay, can I turn the TV off now, please? That's <laughs> the thing. Fan at all. Every time he wrestled at a, at a pay-per-view i'd always cheer for the other guy
0: <laughs> well that's a it's mick foley brought up an interesting point and i i think i read it in a second book foley is good um he had mentioned like he specifically shouted out Taka noku uh i can't remember the full context of the chapter but he was like if the if the world title was based on talent then talk, uh, talent alone, the Taka Michinoku would be the the WWF World Heavyweight Champion. Because uh, Taka, Taka was incredibly talented. But yeah. Taka also did not connect with Thanks. bigger audiences for XYZ. Any number of reasons. As well. that was, oh yeah, no. no. Well, that was the big one, but also some of the angles they booked
1: him in. Um, and back to the 90s and 80s, any Japanese wrestler that would claim the WWF at the time, they couldn't speak English well they didn't book them out all well oh yeah oh yeah okay. Which is uh, hold up.
0: sorry uh okay so for 2000s a couple things i want to particularly highlight was like i said earlier i think even though when i think the attitude era i of course think stone cold steve austin but like i said the match quality was varied um 2000s i think was the the peak of both where you had the interesting, the very interesting characters. Um, everybody on the card, top to bottom was super over, but the match quality also did get substantially better. I think it got noticeably better throughout the entire card. Um, that was like triple H at his absolute best, um, in terms of in ring work. Um, i remember triple a's as Terror rising from wcw <laughs> or john
1: yeah. paul levesque
0: <laughs> oh yeah no 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 oh that that dude man um but uh like 2000 wwf was on fire uh it's it was drawing drawing some of its highest ratings some of its highest buy rates uh backlash 2000 was like for a while the highest non big 4 non WrestleMania pay-per-view gate um the ratings they were getting were astronomical um even into the even into 2001 the company was still on fire WrestleMania 17 was incredible uh, it's a show that people still go back to the downside was at least for north american wrestling especially north american wrestling on tv was uh WCW was bleeding is not even a, an appropriate term. Like well, it, it's it's not like they were bleeding. They were beyond life support. One uh, of the problems was
1: they think they could bring in Vince Russo, who did well with WWE, and use him to write storylines, which were the most terrible storylines I ever saw in my life. Oh yeah. I remember, well, so I forget who Hogan was facing. But the first pers- no, it wasn't Hogan. It was Kevin Nash was facing somebody. I think it, was, it might have been Ray Mysterio Jr. or something. And Kevin Nash just laid down and pulled him on him and get the three count. Huh, like I can't remember. That- that's how bad it
0: became. <laughs> well, like, oh man, like it got. <sighs> that-,
1: that probably rates as my second
0: worst match of all time. David Arquette, da- like, and he's gone a long way to shoot that stuff down. Yeah, David Arquette became champion, which he he now wrestles. Um, and I- he, he can- also. He he also gave all the money he made to, I think, the Owen Hart Fund and um, maybe the Brian, I think I've also heard the Brian Pillman. So any money he made from WCW, he he didn't keep any of it. Um, It was entirely a promotional thing. Vince Russo became champion. Like
1: two years ago, he came to Hamilton and wrestled uh, Alpha One.
0: And oh my gosh, it was like fantastic. I was like this guy, <laughs> oh yeah, no, he's 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 learned and he he has a genuine love for for wrestling, um, but it's also just like a what? Well, we, <laughs> like you go with what with Dennis Rodman? Yes, uh, but I'll also say no. It just it just hear me out uh, on this. No, 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 no. H- hear me out. The reason I'm saying yes and no is because. Celebrities in wrestling is always iffy, but Rodman and Carl Malone, I'll put closer to the great use of, say, a Mike Tyson, than I would of the David Arquette or the Jay Leno, right? Or, or Shaquille, or Shaquille, or even the the guest host era of Raw, like or any or. or or TNA being like, let's get a an early TNA. We'll get a NASCAR racer, and I think make him a tag team champion.
1: And they also had um, a guy from Survivor on their show in the early
0: yeah day. yeah. So that that's what I'm saying. Like, let's look at the context of like D- Dennis Rodman. Like he he did. He brought eyeballs to it. He was notorious. He drew a lot of interesting things to basketball. He was a known commodity, and he did draw more eyes to it. So that's where I could be like I can't argue that it was a success. I'm not saying it was good, but that would—that's
1: what made me turn off WCW when I saw. Well, yeah, no, no, and
0: that's well, that's the catch twenty-two, right? Anytime they, anytime there's celebrity involvement, but I think you could you could even look at, let's like North American wrestling right now. Even the we'll go with the the big two companies. The big two companies being WWE and AEW. Impact would have something to say about that. Pardon? Impact would have something to say
1: about that. They'd say they'd be in the mix there too.
0: I'm saying the big two. Impact can sit down. <laughs> <I'm out. laughs> but like they are, heck, let's use the impact example. TNA in two thousand and ten. When there was the it, the kerfuffle and the mix-up, which Bischoff and Hogan get a lot of flack for. That was more so TNA's fault than theirs. But they were drawing ratings then that at that point people were like, oh, this is kind of low. It's 1.4, 1.5 that WWE and AEW would love to get right now. They'd love to get that consistent of a rating because right now it's not popping beyond their in-house fan base. So that's where by trying new things and including celebrities, it's like, yeah, it might be weird for longtime fans such as yourself or not your thing, but it does draw more eyeballs. Mike Tyson, what did did he add to the proceedings? Aside from adding an interesting story, but more business-wise, more importantly, so many more eyeballs got on that WrestleMania because Mike Tyson was involved. Than they would have without it. Right. So it's it's the catch 22, right? Um, so we'll also say 2000s WWF definitely went downhill. I'm not sure it's as bad as say the new generation stuff, but there was a noticeable dip. It was trying to figure out what it was post attitude. Cause also ECW folded WCW, both companies folded within like, I think two months of each other. Um, And then they were the sole, like, it's going to sound disrespectful, but let's not kid ourselves. TNA never got anywhere close to being a number two. They were number two by default. They weren't number two because, oh, hey, we're this huge success. They had some success, and they've, they've morphed into Impact, and they're still around, so clearly they did something right. But AEW burst on the scene last year, and they became the number two like that tna never was the number two
1: because they had a youtube show for over 20 about 10, 10 years almost with uh, being the elite and that's they brought all those fans with them
0: oh know? yeah no they well they, and they brought of,
1: and they brought wrestlers on that wwe didn't use no like, exactly hey.
0: But the thing, like, the thing is, TNA had, TNA never lacked star power. TNA's, a lot of their problems were, like, oh, and it's been interesting on Bischoff's podcast when he starts talking TNA, especially about the times he was involved, he'd be, like, suggesting stuff where it'd be, like, this, he, like, one thing I will appreciate, he's like, look, just because it's not for me doesn't mean it's not for everybody. He generally doesn't like gimmick matches, but he looked at say the lockdown pay-per-view or uh, no, no, no. Uh, It was at that time. They were just in the one, the one studio where all the things were for free. And he's like, why don't we take the show on the road? Like, why aren't we doing this? And their whole concern was like, okay, let's not lose money. But they didn't have faith to grow. They were like, Oh, we'll bring it. We'll bring in Hulk Hogan and spike. will pay the dime. Spike will pay for sting Hogan, Bischoff angle, we won't lose a dime spike will pay for it but they're not doing anything to grow and it's showing like names sometimes don't mean anything because uh,
1: um, their highest rated episode actually beat WWE one time and it oh, was yeah. boys putting Dixie carter through a table
0: yeah that no was no,
1: no. Rated all time. <laughs> <laughs> no, not. It was just the Belly boys putting the owner through a table
0: like it's it's the business of the business is what really interests me in a lot of North American stuff. Um, and that's a, like mid 2000s is where outside of watching a couple promos or a one off match here or there is where WWF lost me. What started winning me and has re got me into wrestling was um, I'll sing. It, so I'll keep singing its virtues. Uh, mid 2000s pro wrestling. Noah was outstanding. Uh, it is wince-inducing. It is uncomfortable because of how stiff it is. A <laughs> uh, nickname I've seen online that's appropriate is Head Drop City. Um, people look at Brock Lesnar and the, the joke in wrestling things. Uh, wrestling fandom is like Suplex City. He's got it on a shirt. But you have guys that would suplex each other. Uh, jer- so th- it's interesting how there's a couple moves... From wrestling that I think are Ingrained in even for outside of wrestling Like pop culture lexicon The average, If you mention a pile driver People kind of know what it is They might not know what the package pile driver is They might not know what the tombstone pile driver is But pile driver is a name that's gotten Into the crowd Into pop culture People know what a powerbomb is Heck powerbombs have shown up in MMA fights um, The Rock has done the rock bottom In multiple movies And people recognize it Stone Cold Stunner and, of course, the RKO, because there was a while where it was an an online uh, viral sensation of people just like RKO out of nowhere. Um, So and German suplex, I think, is one of them. (laughs) But Noah, it would be like, how many different ways with a suplex can I throw you over myself and drop you on your head and neck? And how many ways can I do it from varying heights? Um, How can I kick you where I'm actually kicking you? Kenta Kabashi, who is one of the best wrestlers of all time, like he would get in chop battles that would, you could debate, would put Ric Flair to shame. I didn't see Ric Flair cut somebody open off a chop. (laughs) Kenta Kabashi would redden in, blue in and at times lightly bloody somebody's vest his vest chest from a chop um Kobasi's chop it's it was it's very different it's it's such a hard hitting style that you're like okay i'm invested uh, and then you all that's where you got the rise of certain people who uh, some didn't do too well in new japan at the time uh, who have gone back to New Japan. But that's also where you got, like, Mizawa, you got Kenta Kobashi. Um, I'm terrible with some of the names, but a couple of people who are st- strong, in decent strong positions on the New Japan card now really did grow through uh, Noah. But then also you got Kenta, um, which was interesting. Was Kenta was trained by Kenta Kobashi, uh, and for a brief time he was known by his, he went by his full name of Kenta Kobayashi. And then they're like, that's too close to Kenta Kobashi. So you're just all caps lock, Kenta. <laughs> um, and then he he rose through the ranks. He was, Kenta was one of those guys who you're like, he's something else. Um, his kicks are so impactful. He's got a, kick bo- a legit kickboxing background. Um, Noah was one of the ones that took some of the stuff from like UWFI and that kind of thing where it's like, we'll mix like people who have legit combat sport training or uh actual careers like kickboxing careers mma careers but we'll add it into we'll add it into pro wrestling new japan was kind of doing that but doing it very terribly in the 2000s uh where it was like so mma based the title was switching everywhere um New Japan was I don't know if they were on the verge of bankruptcy, but they it took them a while to recover from from their mistakes of the early 2000s. And Brock Lesnar showing up in there that was I'm not saying Brock was a mistake because Brock in Japan makes so much sense to me because you look at that, you look at Brock and you're like, he is a guy who could be. You look at some of the, the gaijins, the the American wrestlers who would show up in Japan, All Japan, New Japan, wherever, they'd normally be brick house people. They'd be like Stan Hansen, Vader, um, Scott Norton, who was a blip on the radar in terms of what he could do in WCW, but in Japan he was big. Um, A-Train, when he went to Japan. A-train, exactly, like when he became Giant Bernard. Uh, yep. Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows Were so much better and different in Japan Than they were in North America um, So Brock I'm like that guy fits That guy fits uh, And if you Well yeah they they, And I get why they put the championship on him But at the same time it was just business Wasn't good and I'm like man I'd love to see Like there's a couple matches I'd be like I'd love to see Where if you could mesh like late 90s or early 2000s with current day new japan and some of that as i'd be like i'd love to see brock in new japan now because that like brock when he's motivated and i feel like he would be in the new japan setting especially right now where they're successful and it's like the checks are always going to be there so that's never going to be a problem uh like i feel like a brock okada match could be crazy um but i'd also would have loved to see like a brock and like oh six to oh nine kenta match just because brock's a brick house who flies but kenta would did, like could kick him down and it could be it could be fun um well and also sorry
1: i just noticed our time is going increasingly long here
0: yeah no, i know i <laughs> know uh what and
1: with the last question yeah if you one dream match from any era of any wrestlers what two wrestlers would you put in
0: a dream match oh man okay wait 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 i know i'm i can i add a little bit of time because we have barely touched the 2010s
1: well we can do that on a different podcast
0: okay i'll allow it, <laughs> I'll All right, just say, it. <laughs> here i'll just quickly say just very quickly Uh, With the the 2010s to the present day, what's interesting is it has not hit the financial heights anywhere near the financial heights that were the late 90s into the 2000s, but especially in North America, I think it's the best time for wrestling that there's been in ages, because you have so many different promotions. You have Impact is finding its groove, you've got AEW, you've got NWA that's scratching that nostalgic itch, but with a modern twist. You've got MLW. You've got ROH that's still hanging in there. (laughs) You've got like so many different options now. And international wrestling has a platform that it didn't even have ten years ago. That it's a it's a good time to be a fan. Yeah. All right, sorry. I, I I overshot. I just I had to get that in. I'm long winded, man. It's my show. Fight me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if I had to do a dream match, uh, I know I just stated a couple, so I think we, I think we could do a full episode of dream matches, and not One. only do it, and not only do I think I can, I think we should, so we will. Um, but if I had to iron it down, I think. I know it wouldn't be good from a work rate standpoint, but just cause they are the two biggest of the, of the industry ever. It, it would have been Hogan Austin. Um, as much as Hogan rock was great. Um, especially when there was that brief opportunity to get it. Like just, I've always loved the visual in my head of like Hogan going for the boot. He goes for the leg drop. Maybe he hits it, but then it's almost like the, the mockery of the Hulk the Hulk up where Austin just pretty much gets up, flips in the double bird. Cause that's Austin and then nails him with the stunner. And that's how I'm like that. You've got the two biggest icons of the industry who made the most money for the industry. That's not disputable. The statistics, the finances, everything back that up. Um, Like I said, there's other matches I can think of where I'd be like work rate rise. I'd salivate at, but just because it's those two, they're the biggest, they are the biggest names that have come out of that industry. Um, The biggest guy of the 80s against the biggest guy of the 90s. And that's not to sneeze on Hogan in the 90s, because he really did reinvent himself um, in the late 90s through the NWO. But yeah, that's it. How about you? Uh, mine
1: would be a war games match, featuring, <laughs> featuring the four horsemen. The one, the four horsemen would be the Arn Anderson, Flair, Paulie, and Barry Windham era, and they would be going up against Chris Jericho, Dusty Rhodes, Magnum T.A., and Dustin Rhodes.
0: Huh. I feel like you cheated. <laughs> <laughs> Because I felt I had to do singles. I didn't know I could do multi-man.
1: If <laughs> I a singles match it would be Terry Funk and Nick Foley in a hardcore match. Hands down. But we've seen that. We've seen that so many times. I So love to see over and over Okay, I'm sorry.
0: Those guys. Okay, all right. I'll 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 allow it, I guess. I mean, you can see it over and over again. It is possible. But... It is. If you had to pick the biggest stars, it would be Chris Jericho
1: versus, I would have to say, anyone from Japan, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, those oh, we, would be biggest, Chris Jericho versus New Japan. He should start his own alliance and, and be.
0: <laughs> I feel I'd like say, we could yeah. do it. I feel like we could do a whole episode on Jericho. Um, And I think the learning thing from this is, okay, so I'm just going to quickly add uh, just the other caveat of, I think the 2010s have been some of the most interesting years for wrestling because there's been a lot of lows, but also a lot of increased highs, as we quickly alluded to, uh, with the growth of many promotions, many options. So you don't just have to get some of the, at times, mostly bad stuff from WWE uh, even though they've got NXT, and NXT is for the most part good, um, you've got you've got a couple different options. The other thing I'll say is, as we because uh, I'm not watching it consistently in 2020, I'm still in the. I'll watch a certain match, um, maybe highlights of a full pay-per-view, um, but 2020 has been with the Corona thing it's been so interesting that you've gotten stuff that you would never get in wrestling before that. Now I'm like, you've got to figure out a way to keep this, but I don't know how you keep it. Once you start having the arena, uh, like people in the arena again, because just having a bunch of people sit around and watch a screen for like 20 minutes, that's, that's not going to come off. Well, unless you're, Unless you're just giving the feed on the network or YouTube or whatever it is, where it's like, here, here's what we recorded and we're cutting out the audio from the arena. Um, The craziness of the Boneyard match. Um, Baron Corbin basically killing two people. (laughs) The implied murder of... The implied hilarious murder of Rey Mysterio and Alistair Black, where it seems like they got thrown off a building, and then of course the fantastic wild insanity that was the uh, the Stampede Stadium match from AEW. But you you've hit something now that's great.
1: <laughs> yeah, but Impact actually did it great without fans way back with Matt Hardy.
0: Oh yeah, no, no, no. I, I was gonna say give credit where it's due.
1: And they're the first ones to do do it well. And they were oh, yeah. beating uh, WWE at the time in ratings with the Broken Matt Hardy.
0: Huh. Yeah. Which show?
1: <laughs> I think it was the one where they had all those tag teams come and wrestle. That was the one that actually beat the WWE in ratings. Okay. So it was Broken Matt Hardy and Brother Nero versus all these random tag teams I've never heard of.
0: uh yeah so it no no just want to give credit where it's due but i even find like that happened and they they worked it out but then there's been some attempts since that haven't hit as well but it and even i apparently the nxt cinematic style they just tried recently didn't go over that well with the fans but You had like the Boneyard match, which was something very different, but also like, oh, dang, this is interesting. Uh, And then that also can be a way where you can get some of your old favorites, but not having to bump where they'll die. Or Mick Foley, I'm 99% sure like he's had every bone in his body replaced (laughs) Um, just because of the abuse he's taken, (laughs) like he's put himself through
1: yeah I think in in one of his book he said thirty two bones have been broken into his body
0: oh my gosh like that guy um when he lost his ear we could we could honestly do an entire episode about the craziest things McFoley has done um just like that it could give that could be the way you could incorporate other people or even some of that silliness like you got with the the stadium stampede where friggin Page rode across the field on a horse. Um, Kenny Omega, who is an incredibly, incredibly talented worker. Some of his stuff, I think, fits more Japan than, than North America. Like, he gets really anime-styled facial expressions, which to a number of fans are like, oh, that's awesome. And others are like, what the heck is this? But it suits that crazy factor that they've been able to develop with the empty <laughs> arena stuff. Where it's like let's hit a guy with a golf cart. Exactly. <laughs> and as we're chasing him down. I'm going to look like an anime villain. I'm like ah.
1: <laughs> the watching the regular matches. They do with the empty arena.
0: Oh dude. It doesn't work. Yeah no no. So it's but, just. It's yeah. something they found that works. That I'm like okay when eventually. Be it 2021 or whenever it is. the things start getting not this. Uh, I hope they don't there's going to be some aspects where they're going to might be like, look, this was that dream year on Dallas. Uh, (laughs) uh, this was that dream year on Dallas. Um, but I hope some things they keep the other thing I'll quickly say, I'm so sorry. I'm long winded. I got a shout out and I will, when we dive into this more properly is Kenta, Kenta coming into new Japan. He's probably my favorite heel right now. He is on fire. Um, he's a guy who I don't think he can work the way he used to because of how physically punishing wrestling that intense is. Um, but he, there's for wrestling fans. It's like there there's heels, uh, the cool heels who so they're like, Oh yeah, we'll cheer you because you're just so awesome. Um, uh, and then there's heels who are, they have go away heat where they're like, you're just boring. I hate you go the heck away. Heck a lot of faces get that. Um, And then there's people who have. There are very few heels who are like genuinely hated. Uh, And Kenta is. By a lot of the new Japan fan base. Genuinely hated. It's so interesting in Japan. Because it's very few that people switch companies. In North America. In wrestling and in other things. It's like well I've been here for a couple of years. There might be some loyalty. But it's like when I'm unhappy I leave. Like I can always go. But so much in, in Japan. It's like. You train with that company, you're there, you're there for life. Um, And if you leave and come back, it takes years to get that trust back. Um, So Kenta going into New Japan instead of going back to Noah, like he was putting on good matches in the G1, but the audience wasn't connecting with him. He turns heel and joins Bullet Club, and they boo the crap out of him. And then you just see him delight in it. And he's just having, you can tell how much fun he's having being hated. Uh, And then just doing the stuff he'll do online where he'll cut a promo against Naito after they feuded. And then he'll be like saying stuff like, Japan should give more free Wi-Fi. And then he'll be like, I want you guys to be safe. I want you to wash your hands. This especially goes to Naito fans because... You're all rude and kind of stupid. It's just like these unnecessary pot shots. It's just such a jerk move, but it's so good. that I'm like, oh man, if, if there were more stuff like Kenta, then I'd be like, I'll watch the whole show. I will watch the whole show. I'll buy the t-shirt. I'll promote it. Like it's that kind of thing where I'm having fun getting into wrestling again. So
1: it's. WWE, I'll turn it on when I see Paul Heyman going to grab my microphone and speak. I'm like, I'm going to stay and listen to what he has to say.
0: Mm-hmm. You Paul Heyman, anything. You know. Oh, Paul Heyman can turn anything into gold. Um, yeah. Sorry, like, I know I'm keeping I, I got it. <laughs> so Paul shared a story. Uh, listen to me he's talking to him like a gnome on a first name basis. Um, so Paul Heyman shared a story once where it was, I think, right before or after uh, WrestleMania where Brock uh, Brock won and beat the streak um, so Heyman was going out to do a promo it was in Chicago uh, and then of course at that time because of the very better split between CM Punk and um, and WWE which we'll touch on when we touch the 2010s proper um, he was like they were like we gotta shoot down the chance we gotta do what we can and then Heyman's like, just let me have it. I will go out and I'll 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 name drop CM Punk, and then I'll get them I'll get them to cheer me, and then I'll get them to hate me, and then they won't chant the name the rest of the show. And then he it was so interesting to hear him say that, and then watch the promo because Heyman had that story with Punk, uh, and then he tied it into the WrestleMania match with Taker, and then he tied it into like. That kind of thing. So we had them eating out of the palm of his hand, uh, chanting for him, chanting for Punk, and then they had him booing him just because he started going on about how Brock was going to beat and take the streak and all that. I was like, that guy knows how to work a crowd. That guy is just phenomenal.
1: Yeah, too bad he couldn't make it work for ECW, though.
0: Yeah, the finance, uh, it's, it's so interesting just because ECW is, I think it's a staple in time uh i don't think you could I, I don't know the long-term sustainability of that because how many other promotions do that kind of wrestling that lasts a long time that keep with that style of wrestling
1: oh i think it's called the in, insane clown wrestler or something like insane po- clown posse started a federation and it's still going and it's that kind of wrestling style right, so like
0: Five fan. Okay, no, that was going to be a very bitter pot shot. Um, I, also just, I also just don't like or get the insane clown Posse. They're one of the things where I'm like, no offense to the individuals because I don't know them as people. But when I see that kind of thing, I'm like, how is it? How? How? Guys, this is something juggling, that should have been left in the 90s. Yeah. I think it's called the Jungle Championship promotion. Yeah, or wrestling, probably. Um,
1: but it's. The same style as ECW is just, just like that. And it's very popular.
0: It's still going today. Oh, no, it, but how, like, look at ECW where it had the TV deal. Um, let's even pretend it's on the network that wasn't just trying to screw it over and get WWE on, on their network. Um, okay. Let's take that aside. How much, honestly, for long term, especially factor in the stuff that the world has experienced in the past 20 years. Um, would something like ECW be able to attract continually a, uh, enough mainstream audience to tour, to have a show that costs a lot to produce, um, pay their talent all the time, and all that? It's there's so many. ECW was great, but there was so many things where you're like, this is what stuff I appreciate about it, and others appreciate about it. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get. They're gonna run into the problem of getting new fans sometimes right because yeah. you can't appeal to the younger crowd because you are not a pg or pg rated show you are, are a pg 13 rated show you are no, like that was not that was an r-rated show basically i remember R-
1: they came to hamilton in the 90s but they came under a different name they didn't come as ecw they were called something else but it was basically ecw was all the wrestlers except for something else and they toned it down
0: yeah
1: and that is worth like the hardcore ecw style the rest of them were toned down
0: and that's like that's the thing as much as i love it and i'd like it's just there's so many things there where i'm like i'm not sure it'd still be going today i don't know how long it would last just because when it's like okay what can we when you look when you listen to other stuff like uh the 83 weeks podcast to read other books and you learn about how much the again the business side of the wrestling business how much that stuff impacts what the promotion can do even on the screen um and money and all that and at the end of the day it is a business that needs to make money beyond just people uh it's i don't know long 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 longevity wise how long it would have been it might have been able to succeed if it's if it didn't keep trying to grow because then it's like we've got our audience we know where we're at uh roh still it hasn't really popped beyond its main bubble and the times that it kind of has it's had some issues
1: it, it not it had a card, madison square gardens and it sold out
0: but that was also part of a super card with other stuff right like it wasn't just roh with japan too <laughs> yeah yeah like, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking Ring of Honor. It's got some great stuff. But also, Ring of Honor is, I, I think that's more of a niche product. I, I enjoy some of the stuff I've seen from it, but that's not going to be the thing that's going to catch on with everybody. I'm not saying you have right. to be WWE or Impact or AEW, but AEW is a good example of taking some of the stuff that you can learn from New Japan but then also add in some of the trappings of more so no, like more mainstream north american wrestling. Uh sure. Ring of Honor isn't that and it shouldn't try to be that. And no. ECW wasn't that and I think the more it tries to be something it's not then it alienates its core fan base but then also it's not going to what it was isn't going to attract the huge audience. It had a right. very very loyal deeply loyal fan base people that still sing its praises to this day um but also wince inducing and at times not in a good way (laughs) so all right uh
1: we'll
0: we'll wrap this up uh we'll do this again dude i i've had a lot of fun talking this with you so I'll get the proper equipment next time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for being on. Uh, dear listener, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I haven't talked wrestling um, on the podcast ever before. Uh, like I said, I've started to enjoy it a bit more and more recently. And again, and it's not in the disputing way. It's, it's, it's light and it's, there's a silly aspect to it. Um, that's not to disrespect the hard work that the, these, these men and women put in to entertaining people across the globe in various ways, sometimes in small crowds in high school gymnasiums or big arenas, be it empty for hundreds of thousands or millions watching at home or for thousands upon thousands in an arena. Um, it's just, it's nice to have something where you're like, you know what, this doesn't have, it's got weight because I enjoy it but it doesn't have like real world weight. It's something fun to get lost in again. Uh, And it's also something that has a flavor for, I I think it's got a flavor for everybody. You've got stuff, which you've got promotions that have more of a style. That's kind of like a hybrid MMA wrestling, or you have some of the silly soap stuff that you can get with WWE or even jokey at times. um, Cole Cabana, Cole Cabana is a very jokey wrestler. Not that he's a bad one, but Heck, one of his finishers is the superman pin that is ridiculous <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yet if you're looking for a good Cole Cobana match
1: look up Coco Cobana versus Adam Pierce
0: who is formerly Adam Cole right no oh shoot no i'm uh, i'm bad wait wait was Cole did Cole keep his name yes oh okay and that might
1: be his real name i don't know
0: yeah but I mean, Cody for a while could use his real name because they own the trademark.
1: <laughs> yeah. Same with Ricky he tried
0: to Steamboat. For a while, he couldn't use his name. Well, heck, the, the Jim Hellwig legally changed his name to the Ultimate Warrior, and <laughs> he was like, "I can put this on my mailbox. Screw you guys."
1: Um. <laughs> but as you're talking about wrestling and the wide variety of it, my wife is not a real wrestling fan, but she'll tune in to watch women's wrestling. Like if I have women's wrestling on, she'll sit and watch it and then get up and leave after that. Like, yeah. Okay. I'm done. Well, it's,
0: you know what, as much as I sang the praises of, uh, all Japan and Japan in general, uh, for all wrestling throughout this whole episode, but especially for their nineties output of women's wrestling. Um, I don't think there's ever been a better time across the whole, all of professional wrestling for women's wrestling. Everybody like, it's all being treated seriously now across the board um you're not getting any stupid like bra and panties matches which was just gross um just awkward. It's, it's when you see oh, it at no. the at the time and i'm not trying to justify it but it seemed to no i can't i can't even say it worked at the time it did yeah. but you're like no it shouldn't have though like that's the thing <laughs> it shouldn't have been a thing um yeah only probably have
1: with WWE's women wrestling this division is how they over-promote Charlotte Flair. I'm sorry. I know she's Frick Flair's daughter, but she should not have won at WrestleMania against Asuka. That was, the, in my opinion, the worst move.
0: they should oh, have. Oh, oh, sorry. I feel like us. Uh, but that's uh, for another, another day. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that, that could be a whole episode. And I, uh, she, she's got all the talent, but I, I do feel a bit bad for her right now. I'm not knocking your talent, I'm just oh, saying. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I I feel bad for her right now because she's getting a lot of, again, be kind to each other, people. Um, it's a promoter's decision who's going to be on everything. Yeah. It's, it's not the performer's decision. <laughs> so They're using her because of her last name. That's the thing.
1: If she wasn't a, wasn't a player, I don't think she would be as highly promoted
0: as she is i I don't think so. uh the reason I'll say that is because for a while she tried to push away from the Flair stuff then she she earned her stripes and then she leaned into it. But if you take away her last name, she was still putting on banger matches that still got a lot of audience attention. Oh, I, I agree, but I don't think she
1: would be as promoted as she's being promoted without the name, I, just like in impact. There's Tessa Blanchard, who is Holly Blanchard's daughter. She would not be promoted like she is without the last name. I,
0: like made, I, I made her the world champ. They I think mean. there's, I think there's yes and no to that because also, heck, Blanchard is not the same name as Flair. let called a spade a spade. But also, um, we can't always just no. I'm not trying to knock Tully, but. Rick Flair is known to non-wrestling people. Is Tully? Yes. Is Blanchard? <laughs> no. I get, I get the point. Like, I'm not, not knocking the guy, but because uh, also, we can't just pin it on the name because Horace Hogan was a thing and Horace Hogan thankfully never got near any big title. And, uh, and his daughter tried to get into the business and, you know, and all that went. Whereas Mike Awesome, who was a like a relative of Hogan's actually like a nephew or something. I can't remember what the family tree is, but he was incredibly talented, um, but never leaned into the last name. And he, no. if he did, then I'd be, I, I'd be like his talent is what his talent is. What got him over. So I think, I think flair Charlotte flair would still be the big name, but it's at, it, it does add to it because now, you know, I, I think it would. there's the, the almost Roman Reigns, John Cena resentment towards her. Um, but when you add on her last name, it does make it so much worse because you're like, oh, it's because she's a flair. Whereas if it's anybody being pushed on that much, especially debatably to the extent of other talent, then they'd be like, oh, come on, because it happened with John Cena. It happened with Roman Reigns. That's where I'm not convinced. Like, Roman Reigns has no name connection to anybody. Um, and that's where I'm not He's fully convinced it's. To The Rock. Yeah. And when they brought that up, how did that go over? And they didn't really bring it up again? Um, but when they up with the Usos, it worked very, very well. Right. But it, they also didn't try to shove it down the throat, being like, hey, love me, because I'm connected to him. Right. Yeah. So that's where. I'm not saying it doesn't help, but I'm not saying it. I don't think it's the main reason.
1: Because you got Randy Orton, who's connected with Bob Orton
0: and all that family. But but again, but look at Randy Orton. When he came in and they tried pushing him up hard, that didn't work. And then later he found his character. And again, no offense to Bob Orton, but do non-wrestling people know who Bob Orton is? No. (laughs) And non-wrestling people know who Randy is. Mostly because of the RKO out of nowhere thing, but... Yeah. Uh, what I'm saying is it's not always in the name. There's also enough failed second or third generation stars to show that. Um, uh, DiBiase, Jr. Well, Ted DiBiase Jr., Ricky the Dragon Steamboat Jr. Yeah. Uh, any heart that's not Brett? <laughs> <laughs> Almost, Cody, <laughs> if you didn't leave. Uh, like... If there's so many... It, it's I. I don't think it's always just name because at the times when they try to bank on, it doesn't always work. Anyways, we've gone long. Some of this is better for another episode. So, dear listener, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And uh, I think we're going to be doing more. So even if you don't enjoy wrestling, I hope you enjoy hearing us talk about wrestling. I listen to so many podcasts at times about stuff that I've got no interest in actually sitting down and watching. But it's still very interesting to me. So I'm hoping that that can be this for you. Um, Yeah. To the end, let's just say, what federation would you tell people to watch right now? Oh, New Japan, bar none, automatically
1: MLW for me
0: right, that's fair, that's fair I also haven't checked out much NLW Um, It's it's something I will, I'll check out more of I just haven't, again, it's the thing of sitting down and watching a whole show The most recent whole show I've watched was uh, an episode of Power and that was because I'm like it's in an it's in a 42 minute bite size thing, like I love that. <laughs> sitting down and watching even like the quality can be good, but even sitting down and watching a full hour of wrestling, let alone two or three, in the case of Raw, or seven in the case yeah. of WrestleMania, <laughs> um, no, thank you. It's just I enjoy it, but not nearly enough. And the other people do, and that's great, but that's do- where. I, last shout out people should
1: go check out the nwa girl power first episode on youtube
0: i'll check that out oh and if you if you want to check out some wrestling stuff but maybe not watch wrestling necessarily uh the youtube uh, nwa had a great documentary series uh called 10 pounds of gold really well produced and it's so interesting i love it when you get some of those documentaries that are done both in character and in kayfabe but also out of it it yeah. it it does it straddles that line very well because i think that's important like the industry is at the point where they, it's like look we know there's a bit of a wink wink nudge nudge here but we can't just be like hey we're gonna put the title on whoever and address that in the documentary because then there's no point in suspending the belief so they that documentary series finds the uh the fine line very well so all right
1: mm-hmm. i'm gonna Oh, sorry. YouTubers you should check out wrestling with regret. Highly, highly recommend them.
0: There I have check them out. They're good. If a uh, good way to catch up on certain things is uh, the YouTube series The Recount through New Japan. You can also find a lot of Noah matches if you actually want to check out any of Kenta's Noah stuff, just type in Kenta Noah and um, just get ready to feel uncomfortable watching a dude kick people incredibly hard. Uh, it's awesome, but it's wind inducing. Um, okay we got to wrap up because we'll keep going. Um, Yes. All all that, all that being said, uh, dude, this was fun. We will definitely do it again. And uh, dear listener, thank you for listening to today's episode of one cross radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed hearing me and pal talk about wrestling. Uh, And we will definitely do this again, but we'll try to refine the topic a bit. So we don't go as far and varied into the weeds as we did where we first started saying goodbye, like 20 minutes ago. So we'll make sure we get better at that next time. All that being said, Kyle, thank you for being on. Listener, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hope you're being safe. Take care. and God bless, my friends. And also, be kind to each other. Pray for each other. Trust in God. God bless and take care. Peace.